0: Amen. Thank you, Brother Dave, Miss Beth. What a great gift we have from God. Amen. Go ahead and get your Bible out. Get in Isaiah chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 518, page 518, Isaiah chapter 7. I'm glad you're here this morning. I hope that uh, many of you who are able will come back tonight from 5 to 530 as we read the Christmas story together, sing some carols and have a brief thought to honor our Savior's birth. Uh, I know Christmas is difficult for some people, but Christmas is good for everyone who focuses on the reason for the season. Uh, We enjoy extra days off from work. Many enjoy time with family they don't often see. Uh, We enjoy buying special gifts for loved ones. We enjoy receiving special gifts from loved ones. We don't enjoy the credit card bill. That comes in January from December. Many times we don't enjoy the busyness of the season as we are all out of our, quote, normal routine. Uh, We don't enjoy the lull after Christmas when the lights are being taken down. The crinkled wrapping paper thrown away and the lights and decorations put away for another season. Sometimes people struggle. People are no longer with us. Family that is estranged. But hear me when I say everyone can enjoy the reason for the season. Christ Jesus was born in Bethlehem and he is the greatest gift of our creator and the greatest expression of love for mankind and sinners of all sorts. You're here this morning and you're a sinner. Christ Jesus came for you. This morning I want to begin our thought about 700 years before the decree of Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. There are a lot of things that make the Bible a unique and special book among all books in the world. One of the things that makes the Bible special and unique is that there are thousands of detailed prophecies, hundreds of which have already been fulfilled in history. They're not vague statements like the ramblings of Nostradamus, it could be taken several ways. They are not general statements that those with foresight might reasonably predict in a couple of years, like who, who couldn't see Israel having war with Hamas? That's no great prophecy. Not statements by self-proclaimed prophets that have been proven false, like Benny Hinn predicting Fidel Castro would die in the 1990s when he lived till 2016. I'm talking about clear, detailed statements about the future that no one but God could see coming. Only the one true God knows the future with 100% certainty. I've yet to read the headline, Fortune Teller Wins Lotto," And if I do ever read it, it will be only because they had the same one and however many million chance as everyone else. Only God knows the future. This morning I want to begin our thought with the prophet Isaiah speaking about 740 years before the first Christmas and for anyone here this morning who is troubled about the division in America or the war in Ukraine or the war in Israel or the potential threats that are linked to any one of those, I want you to understand. God clearly told us what's going to happen in the future so that we don't have to live in fear. We can live with hope, confidence, because our God's in control. So why he's not doing things like I think he should? Well, welcome to humanity. One of the famous speakers in America tells a story about he was, how he was walking on vacation down a street in Newport Beach, California, and as he was walking down the street, one of the bars along the street, there were four men that burst out of the door and three of them were really just beaten down and pounding one of the men. And this famous speaker claims to have said in his loud and boldest voice he could muster, stop the fighting right now. Well, the three men who were pounding the one man, surprisingly stopped. They looked at him and to his surprise, they ran away. First, he, you know, kind of, threw his shoulders back, thought he was pretty proud of himself, and then he noticed behind him was the bouncer from the bar. (laughs) And them listening to what he had to say had nothing to do with him. In case you hadn't noticed, our confidence or fear is directly linked to who's with us. If you're able to stand this morning, if you would stand, please, in honor of the Word of God, Tell title of my thought this morning is God with us. God with us. Isaiah chapter 7, we begin in the Word of God in verse 10, it says, Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. He said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Thank you. you might be seated. Prophet Isaiah was God's messenger to the southern kingdom of Judah during the reign of four different kings. It is... During the reign of the fifth king, an evil man named Manasseh, that tradition says that he was sawn in half. Now, one of the four kings under which Isaiah served was a king named Ahaz, and Isaiah speaks to King Ahaz as God's representative in verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Now remember, if we ever want to understand the Bible, we need to pay attention to who is speaking, to whom they are speaking, and what circumstances they are speaking under. And the season or the circumstance, you might say, under which Isaiah spoke to Ahaz was not a time of revival. It was not a time of plenty in Judah. It was rather a time when the northern kingdom of Israel had joined Syria to attack their capital of Jerusalem. Look at verses one and two. It says, and it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that reason the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim, and his heart was moved, and the heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. And though the walls of Jerusalem held the initial assault by this confederacy of these two nations, there would have been a lot of damage done, there would have been a lot of people hurt, there would have been a lot of property destroyed outside of Jerusalem, by these enemies who invaded Judah. And as you imagine, uh, when news of this confederacy of evil nations who wanted to destroy them got to everyone, they were moved with fear in one accord, just like the wind moves the trees, and you could see how the people would be in such fear under these kinds of circumstances. Now, it's important we understand who Ahaz was. Ahaz was not a good man. He was not a good king. His father, Jotham, and his grandfather, Uzziah, are both described as, quote, men who did right in the sight of the Lord. Ahaz, on the other hand, despite the example of faith by his father and grandfather, Ahaz, he's described as, quote, someone who did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord. In fact, Ahaz was so bad, it's even said about him, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, he made his sons pass through the fire according to the abomination of the heathen. If you're not familiar with what that means, basically the neighboring heathen nations had gods by the name of Moloch and Chemosh and they're pictured with hands that were outstretched and they would build a fire under them and people would offer their children in sacrifice on those burning hot hands to Chemosh and to Moloch and Ahaz, despite having a godly father and despite having a godly grandfather, he did that with his children. By the way, it's nothing new. People have always had to make their own choice. Our parents do get the privilege of pointing the arrow of their children in a direction, but unlike a human arrow or a regular arrow, so to speak, human arrows fly where they want at some point. We all must make our own choices. Will I embrace the faith of my father and my grandfather? Will I reject the faith of my father or grandfather? Or many of you here today, you've come to Christ yourself. you come from a home where Christ was not king and the Bible was not preached and taught all the time. And you sit here and you say, if I live my life the way I should, will my children be guaranteed to walk in the faith? There's no guarantee. But I do guarantee you this, if you don't point them to God, you're pointing them away from God. Ahaz was not a good man. But despite the fact that Ahaz was not a good man and not a good king, and the southern kingdom of Judah was not following Jehovah as God, God said, listen, that evil confederacy that is mounted up against you, it will not prevail. And he does that in verses 5 through 7. He says, because Syria... Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, let us go up against Judah and vex it. Let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even a son of Tobiel." Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. Uh, and to add weight to what seemed to be an unlikely prophecy that Judah would be able to stand against these confederacy of nations, to add weight to that, Isaiah offers Ahaz a sign in verse 11. He says, ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. By the way, if you ever stop and think about that, that's quite an offer. I know a lot of people think that if God gave them a sign, they would have more faith than they have today, but you're kidding yourself. If you'll not turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and follow Christ with the written word of God that you and I have today and all the centuries of Christian history, if you won't turn today in light of all that, you wouldn't turn to God in light of a big sign. I mean, think about it. God, through Isaiah, offered any sign Ahaz imagined. I mean, think about how great of a sign God is capable of to confirm His word. How about a rainbow? A rainbow. To confirm that never again the waters would cover the face of the earth. How about a fleece full of dew on a dry night to confirm to Gideon that God had in fact sent him against the Midianites. How about a prophet named Jonah spit up on the shores as a sign to the Ninevites that God had sent them and told them to repent. Listen, God is capable of all kinds of things. Really, all a miracle is is the God who designed natural law, stepping back and saying, I will not be bound by the natural law that I established like mankind and creation is. I will step above natural law and do what only God can do. That's what a miracle is. And Ahaz, in light of this offer to him, he pretends to be more spiritual than he really is. He's in effect going to say, I don't need a sign from God, verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Hmm. Now, Ahaz was neither spiritual nor religious. In fact, his faith was in someone or something other than in the God of the Bible or God's words. Hope you understand every human being has a measure of faith. And people choose where they put their measure of faith. Most people put their measure of faith in themselves. And most people put the measure of faith in themselves. They think that they really know all the answers to life and eternity as if they know more about what they, than they really do, or they have more control than what they really have. And there's a lot of people walking around, and it's quite common today. I've had hundreds of people say this to me. You know what, I'm spiritual but not religious. Do you realize what the interpretation of that is? I do my own thing and God will take what I give. I mean, that's the real interpretation of I'm spiritual but not religious. Don't misunderstand me. God is not uh, someone who is looking for religion. God is someone who's looking for relationships. But anyone with a genuinely close relationship with God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, understand they will always appear to be religious to others. In fact, many of you here understand what I'm saying when I say this. You you know, people who know you, they think you do what you do because of your religion, but you know in your heart you do what you do because of your relationship with God. And so those who are truly spiritual, they value what God values. Listen, don't tell me you're spiritual but not religious when Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Don't tell me you're spiritual but not religious when you don't love what Jesus loves. And Ahaz was that kind of a guy. He wanted to seem more spiritual than he really was. And said, nah, I don't need a sign. Now, Isaiah, who knew Ahaz (laughs) and the kind of man that he was and who knew Judah and the kind of place they were in as a nation, at that time, uh, he answers Ahaz's lack of faith by prophesying one of the most incredible signs God ever gave mankind in verse 13 and 14. And he said, hear you now, house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay. It's an interesting thing. By, by the way, if you have a King James Bible, you understand that pronouns that start with Y, ye, you, and yours, they're plural pronouns. Pronouns that start with T, thee, thou, and thine, they're singular pronouns. If somebody has ever told you and you believe something is silly as well, that's when they talked in 1611. You don't know what you're talking about. Those were all put there on purpose. Notice this is not a singular pronoun where he says, uh, therefore the Lord himself shall give thee a sign. Ahaz didn't want a sign. Ahaz was not a man of faith. This was a sign to you. This was a sign to the house of David. This was a sign to the Jews. It was a sign that wouldn't be fulfilled for 700 years. And it was an incredible one. That a virgin would conceive and bear a son who would be called Emmanuel. Now a few things have bothered the minds of liberals and unbelievers more than the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus. By the way, it also bothers the minds of liberals and unbelievers that the Lord Jesus Christ would also be Emmanuel. See, what's the name mean? I'm glad you asked. Turn your Bible to Matthew 1. It's actually interpreted for us. I hope you understand the Bible is the best interpreter of itself. In Matthew chapter 1, we're going to get into the time when Mary and Joseph are involved. And in Matthew chapter 1, in verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together, again, making sure everybody understands this is a virgin birth, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. While he thought in these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. By the way, it isn't our message today, but that's a great verse to highlight in your Bible. Verse 22, now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. What does the name Emmanuel means? It means God. With us. See, if you are anyone who has any kind of faith whatsoever in the fact that we have an omnipotent creator who is above all the laws of nature that he established. It doesn't move us at all to read that Jesus of Nazareth opened blind eyes, that he touched lepers and made their skin clear, that he went into the cemetery and spoke and called dead spirits back into the body of those which they inhabited prior to their death. It doesn't surprise you at all that after three days, the Lord Jesus would rise from the dead. And it doesn't surprise or shake us at all that Jesus of Nazareth was born from the virgin womb of Mary. For anyone who thinks the virgin birth of Christ doesn't matter, you don't know what you're talking about. If Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, he wouldn't have fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. But he was. If Jesus was not born of the virgin Mary, uh, listen, he could not have died for our sins. He would have just had a natural birth and he would have just been a man, but he wasn't. He was born of the Virgin Mary, so he was the Son of God, so he could have innocent blood, so that he could die for our sins instead of needing to die for his own. It matters. He's the virgin-born Son of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. We rejoice in the humble baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That baby was more than just a baby boy. We rejoice in the virgin-born son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, a miraculous birth. The birth of a life that had been from the beginning. Which gets us to our thought today. What I'd like to do for a few moments is just make some applications and observations of Jesus of Nazareth being Emmanuel, God with us. please. You may not even need to turn, but in Matthew chapter 2, here's the first thing. Number one, the baby born in Bethlehem was God with us. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, Herod, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. That's Herod talking to the wise men. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. By the way, when you find someone trying to find a natural explanation for that star, they're looking in the wrong place. This was not a natural star. This was a supernatural star that went over where the young child was and went before them. Verse 10, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, which means they saw it in the east. It disappeared for a while. They got word that Christ was to be born in Bethlehem. And when they headed for Bethlehem, the star appeared. I'm just teaching the Bible. Verse 11, and when they were come into the house, not the stable. When they were come into the house, they saw the young child, not the baby, the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. When they'd opened their treasures, they presented unto him gold, gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Notice in verse 11, when these wise men from the east arrived, they worshipped him. They were no longer in a stable. We don't know how much after the first Christmas this was. It was at least 40 days. Could have been as long as two years, but whatever Amount of time it was, doesn't matter. At this particular time, they were in a house. And listen, what parent would stay in the stable more than the first night? Man, my wife would have my head. Uh, She might have it just for being there one night. But hear me when I say Emmanuel could have chosen to come to earth in a palace, but he chose a stable. God's ways are not our ways. God could have chosen rich and royal parents. He instead chose a carpenter and a mom who were poor but faithful people. Well, God could have chosen to announce the greatest birth birth in history to kings in capital cities. He chose instead to tell shepherds, keeping watch over their flock by night, God's ways are not our ways. The baby in the manger and the young child being worshipped was a virgin-born son of God. He was Emmanuel, God with us. When Mary swaddled and smiled at baby Jesus, she swaddled and smiled at God in the flesh. When Joseph held baby Jesus in his arms, he was looking in the face of God. When those men from the east bent the knee to worship the young child, they were worshiping God. And we rightly rejoice in the gentleness and tenderness and mercy of Jesus. But hear me, he was also holy. He was also omnipotent. He was also eternal. And we're rightly moved to modify our behavior and schedule to celebrate the birth of this Savior. We're rightly moved to prioritize Christmas and become generous givers because of the generous gift of Christ. We're rightly moved to love and warmth in a way we rarely find in ourselves through the rest of the year because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should have everlasting life. That baby in the manger was, and the young child in the house was more than a boy, more than a prophet. He was God with us. Emmanuel. But it's not just that the baby born in Bethlehem and the child in the house was God with us, Emmanuel. Here's number two. Jesus of Nazareth walking among us on earth was God with us. Turn up a few pages to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. By the way, I hope you're aware that when Jesus was being tempted of the devil in the wilderness, as you know, at least many of you know, he quoted the Bible three times to defeat Satan even though he could have defeated Satan on his own authority. The creator always has authority over the creature. But one of the things he said to Satan when Satan tried to get Jesus to bow down to him he said thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. From the mouth of the Savior himself no one is to be bowed down to or worshipped but God. Notice in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 2. Matthew chapter 8, verse 2, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus put forth his hand, touched him, saying, I will. Be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Did you notice that leper worshipped him? Jesus didn't say, Stand up. By the way, that's what the Pope should do when somebody bows down to him. Stand up. I am also a man. Amen. Turn up chapter, chapter 9, verse 18. It says, while he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshiped him. He said, my daughter is even now dead. Come and lay thy hand upon her and she shall live. Uh, you notice Jesus let him worship him. By the way, any preacher or leader of any sort, if anyone bows down to them, they should say, stand up. I'm just a man. Turn up a few pages to Matthew chapter 14. This is Jesus and his disciples. In one of my favorite Bible stories in the stormy sea of Galilee in verse 32 of Matthew 14, it says, and when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him saying of a truth, thou art the son of God. (laughs) Listen, Jesus let people worship him because he was God with us. He was Emmanuel. When Jesus smiled at someone, it was God smiling. When Jesus placed his hands on the shoulder of someone, it was a comforting hand of God on their shoulder. There's a reason when people heard Jesus speak, they walked away and said things like, Never man spake like this man. Devils obeyed his voice. Storm clouds and troubled seas heeded his command. The spirits of the dead came back into their bodies when he spoke to them. And Satan himself obeyed because he was Emmanuel. He was God with us. Jesus spoke with authority. That no man before or since ever had. He was the Word made flesh dwelling among us, and we rightly rejoice in the gentleness and tenderness and mercy of Jesus, but He was also holy, omnipotent, and eternal. And we rightly modify our behavior and our schedule to celebrate the birth of our Savior. We rightly prioritize Christmas and being generous because of the generous gift of Christ from God our Father. We're rightly moved to love and warmth in a special way as we think about this Christmas season in a way we're not moved the rest of the year because of God's great gift to you and I. The carpenter from Nazareth was more than a man, more than a prophet. Is God with us, Emmanuel. But it's not just that when Jesus walked on earth, it was God walking among us. Emmanuel Next, please go in your Bible to Galatians chapter 4. So why do you make me turn in your Bible so much? Uh, First, to keep you awake. Secondly, because I think it's a good idea for us to see in God's Word. Here's number three. Christ in our hearts as believers is God with us today. The baby and the young child was God with us. Jesus walking on earth was God walking among us. Christ in our hearts is God with us today. Galatians chapter four, verse four says, but when the fullness of the time was come. By the way, Jesus came on time. People thought he was late. How could you leave the Syrians oppress us like this? How could you leave the Romans do what the Romans are doing to us? because God had a plan that was higher and above the plans of man. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, that's a hint of the virgin birth, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth, here it is, the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That word Abba just is like our word Daddy. He writes to the, Believers in the area of Galatia, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Listen, if you're a true Christian, Christ lives in your heart. By the way, if Christ is not in your heart this morning, my prayer is that when we give the invitation in a few moments, that you would give your heart to Christ. I can't think of a better gift to give in the Christmas season than to give yourself to the Lord Jesus. I can't think of a better gift to receive in the Christmas season than to receive the gift of God, which is salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't think of a better time, I can't think of a better day to give your life to Jesus than today. And when you give your life to Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, that's what it says there in verse 6, the Spirit of of His Son comes into your heart. That's God in our heart you ever really thought about that? Maybe our fears shouldn't be like the fears of this world because we have God in our heart. Maybe we ought not to have the same anxiety as this world has become increasingly anxious because God is in our heart. Maybe as we think about the lonely times of life, and listen, life has lonely times for everyone, and particularly holiday seasons for some people. Maybe it's time in the lonely times of life that we get our focus off our own pain, pain that's real, times that are really actually genuinely difficult. Maybe it's time we get our eyes instead on the fact that because Christ saved us, and because Christ came, and because Christ lives us in, in us in the person of his spirit, God is with us. We rightly rejoice in the gentleness and tenderness and mercy of Jesus. But he's also holy, omnipotent, and eternal. We rightly modify our behavior and our schedule to celebrate the birth of the Savior, and we rightly prioritize Christmas and become extra generous because of the generous gift of God through Jesus Christ. And we're rightly moved to warmth in a special way because of that the Holy Spirit lives in us, that is God, with us. And lastly this morning, it's not just that the Spirit of Christ is God with us. When Christ returns in power and glory to rule the world, that will be God with us in the future. a the coming seven years, seven years of tribulation, Seven years when God will allow Antichrist and evil to prevail for a season. But that's going to end when Jesus returns. And when he returns in power and glory, that will be God with us. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes,